This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an edge. This is Sinners and Saints. I am Adam Kalusti and one of your co-hosts, introducing you to part three of the remixed Calvary Chapel Chuck Smith Movement shows that we aired some months ago and have recut and are bringing to you. Now you know that there has been a long-standing debate among people who say that they are Christians and who say that they believe in the Bible about how exactly God saves mankind. And there are two camps that give two very distinct answers to that question. And we call those camps the Arminians and the Calvinists. And if you want to get a handle on the difference between what Arminians say the Bible says and what Calvinists say the Bible says, maybe you go back to the homepage under Featured Content and listen to our series of shows on the five points of Calvinism. But if you're already introduced to that and you have a basic understanding of the differences, listen to how the Calvary Chapel movement tries to marginalize, tries to polarize even those who are going to enter into that debate as if the Calvary chapels have the perfect biblical balance on all of the issues of salvation. What's really interesting about that is that the Calvary chapels are decidedly Arminian. And the bad part about that is the Calvary chapels are wrong. Thanks for joining us, sinners and saints. They try and say that they're not taking one side or the other in this debate. We're not Calvinists, we're not Arminians. In fact, let me read from you. This is from the introduction to the book, Calvinism, Arminianism, and the Word of God by Chuck Smith. It says, most importantly, Calvary Chapel has been known for striking a balance between extremes on controversial theological issues that have often caused division rather than unity in the body of Christ. And then he goes forward in this book to explain Calvinism and explain Arminianism and say that they don't take either extreme side, but somehow they are the biblical balance. Is that right? Yeah, they have this incredible statement in that very same pamphlet or book you referred to, Calvinism and Arminianism in the Word of God, where they say Calvary chapels try to avoid conclusions, terminology, and arguments which are not clearly presented in the Bible. And what I find so irritating and even offensive about that statement is it tries to polarize the discussion before it ever begins. So if you're just a sincere, uh, honest, Bible-believing Christian who wants to know the truth, the idea at least presented here is, well, what these other people have done is they've brought division in the church because they've introduced into the argument unbiblical terms and terminology and ideas. And so in the interest and the fairness of truth and wanting to strike balance, we're not going to be that way. And they go on to say, in the midst of all this heated discussion, uh, they say it's so easy to ignore and neglect the plain statements of the Bible to fully understand the ways of God. See, it's trying to be this unassuming, non-pretentious kind of a way. But the fact of the matter is, all of these arguments over these distinctions come right out of the Word of God. Justification, election, total inability, all of these ideas come precisely out of the Word of God. So it's not that easy just to sort of inoculate yourself against criticism at the outset by saying, well, we just want to be biblical in our terminology. That's, that's, that's petty. See, the problem is that what they have decided is that these are particular distinctive matters that Christians can argue about, and there's extremes that they have the biblical view, but... Let's take their theory to its logical conclusion. Anything that divides the Church of Christ then must have two extremes and a mediating position. And so that means that should apply to the Trinity. It should apply to the person of Christ. And so what they ought to be doing, instead of just embracing historical Trinitarian theology, 
because after all, the church divided on that, and even today, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses are not Trinitarian. We should seek a middle ground of unity. That should be their logic on everything. But they don't do that. And so what they need to do is be honest and say, no, the scriptures, because they present the truth, are of nature divisive. And we have chosen the following position as being doctrinal, and therefore we will now try to set them out and prove them over and against those who disagree. But they don't. They, they get this waffling middle ground thing so they, you kind of feel sympathetic to them. That's not the way it plays out. And that's not an extremist criticism, by the way, because at the very end of this whole pamphlet, Chuck says, Jesus said, by their fruit ye shall know them. And so when a particular position on the scripture causes one to become argumentative, legalistic, and divisive, I question the validity of that position. Well, I, I question this, Chuck. Then what happened to the historic Christian church when they at Nicaea said, if you hold to Arianism, you're outside of the Christian church? Was that just a petty, divisive, childish kind of argument that the church had? And what happens if I can show you that the Mormons take care of their people so that none of them starve and none of them are taking welfare? Does that mean that by their fruits we know that they are orthodox, even though they reject the Trinity and the divine nature of Christ? Absolutely not. Yes, it is sad that Christians often don't demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit that they ought, but that doesn't mean that the theory that they or the doctrine that they are propagating is false in and of itself. Whether the doctrine is true or false is based on what does Scripture reveal. Let me give you some advice, says Chuck Smith. If you have come to a strong personal conviction on one side of a doctrinal issue, please grant us the privilege of first seeing how it has helped you become more Christ-like in your nature, and then we will judge whether we need to come to that same persuasion. Let us always be certain to look at the fruit of the teaching. Let me tell you what this is. This is a subversive way to distract the people of God from the issues themselves. We would all agree that it is inappropriate to be uh, hateful or unloving in any expression of the truth. In fact, on this program, the reason why we so aggressively promote the truths that we hold dear from the Scripture is, to tr is because actually we love you. We want you to wake up and not get suckered into this sort of belief that we all just have to sort of smile and everybody that says everything in the name of Jesus and in the Word of God is okay. When you constantly make, as part of your argument, look, don't disagree very strongly, or let me see your attitude and the fruit of your life, you're, getting, uh, you're being distracted from the issues themselves which are important because God has revealed them in His Word. We have to, first of all, ask the question, what is right? What is right? And on the basis of that, go forward in love and in unity. Read the letters of Paul. See the attitude of Christ. See how loving they were when they were confronting those whom they knew were misleading sheep. They were very, very strong in their statements. In fact, you could consider them belligerent and hostile. The overturning of the tables, condemning people and saying, I hope God takes care of them and they Paul, are accursed. Paul confronting Peter to his face. You know, this whole Rodney King kind of approach to the scriptures, can't we all just get along, is a sham. The real issue here and the real thing that is sad is that when so-called believers are too obstinate and stubborn, to be instructed by the Word of God rather than the opinions and the dictates of men. What ought to settle this is not psychological and persuasive techniques and tactics. What ought to settle it is what does the Scripture teach? Not whether I like the way it sounds when it's a finished product. It's in whether it's taught in the Word of God or not. And I think that's what we have to get down to in this debate is stop polarizing it and making this emotional discussion but a logical one based upon the objective truths of the Word of God. Sinners and Saints Theology with an Edge 
You're back listening to Sinners and Saints. We thank you for joining us. We're talking about the most important distinction between the Calvary Chapel movement and the historic Protestant Church, and that is their belief about how mankind is saved. Specifically, uh, what their view is on the debate between the Arminians and the Calvinists. In Papa Chuck's statement, in his writing on this issue, he says it's not our purpose to take sides on these issues or to divide the body of Christ over her human interpretations of the biblical truths concerning our salvation. We simply desire to state how we in the Calvary Chapel Fellowships understand the Bible's teaching regarding these matters. So the way they make it sound is, we're not taking a side of being Arminian or Calvinist. In fact, you'll sometimes hear the Calvary Chapel people say that they're Calminians. They take a mediating position. The question is, is that right? Well, no, it's not. I mean, the way that they kind of play it up, they try to make it seem like, look, here's our middle ground. We affirm so many things that others see, but they lose the balance. Well, the reality is, they are flat-out Arminian in their theology. Now, granted, Chuck doesn't exactly get Arminius right when he describes free will, but as I'm reading the doctrines here that they have in Section 3 of their pamphlet, the doctrine of depravity that he has stated there is Arminius' doctrine of depravity. It's the one that the Arminian protesters wrote up and submitted to the States General in Holland when the Five Points of Calvinism finally became formulated. So, he has taken a side. The whole Calvary Chapel movement has taken a side. The Calvary Chapel movement is Arminian. This can't be uh, demonstrated any more clearly, I don't think, than how they, first of all, how Chuck Smith defines the Arminian view of election, and, now, and then how he defines his own view of election. So he's not in the middle ground. When he defines election, he says, this is what the Arminians believe. Arminius believed that election was based on the foreknowledge of God as to who would believe. So what that means is that God, before the foundation of the world, looked down the corridors of time, he looked in the future, and he saw who would accept Jesus based on their own free will, and then based on the decision that they had made, he chose those for salvation. That's what Arminius taught. Chuck Smith very clearly says that. Then he says, okay, now we're not going to take one radical position of Arminius or Calvin. What we're going to take is the middle road. And this is how he defines his doctrine of election. We believe that God chose the believer before the foundation of the world and based on his foreknowledge has predestined the believer to be conformed to the image of his son. He says exactly what he himself said a couple of paragraphs earlier Arminius had said about the doctrine of, of predestination. He is Arminian. He's not a, quote, Calminian. He's not a, a, a different kind of balanced position. He is an Arminian, even though he may not take that name to himself. Well, he's trying to purport to be Pauline here, because what you can't see in the quote that Adam has just read is the scripture reference which he cites there, and that is Romans 8, 29 and 30, where the Apostle Paul says that for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now, what Paul means by foreknew there is not the idea of God being omniscient could look down the corridors of time and see, you know, who was going to believe or who he wanted to believe or whatever. It's for love. It's, it's known in a very intimate sense. That's the determination that God makes. He loves whom he predestinates. He predestinates whom he loves. So he's not even clear here, but what he's trying to do is, with a misunderstanding of foreknowledge, try to find the middle ground between Calvin and Arminius somehow and just be Pauline. But he's not Pauline. He's misunderstanding Paul here. So one of the things that, again, we want to point out here is that to be Calvary Chapel, to belong to this movement denomination, you must subscribe to an Arminian view of election. You must subscribe to an Arminian soteriology, an Arminian doctrine of salvation. And so if you do not, 
then you cannot really be a faithful member there. You cannot really be under this sort of teaching. And I see Calvary Chapel will say, well, look, you can come to our churches. You can be a faithful participant in Calvary Chapel if you differ from us on this teaching. But remember, you can't be a pastor. You can't be a leader in the Calvary Chapels because we don't think people who don't have this similar doctrinal agreement are fit to be teaching God's people. So don't get so don't get confused. You know, if you're a member who doesn't believe this and you're sitting in a Calvary chapel, by association you are saying that people who don't teach this are not fit to be ministers. That's why if you've got your little reformed Calvinist clique in the Calvary chapel, you're being totally inconsistent. You're not submitting to your pastors and elders. In fact, you're promoting in the broader scale in the Christian church division. Well, the next point is the issue of the atonement. And this is clearly where Chuck is in agreement with Arminians. He first of all says, Arminius held that redemption was based on the fact that God loves everybody, that Christ died for everyone, and so the death of Christ provided the grounds for God to save all men. Now, Chuck, in defining the atonement over against Calvinism, says, we believe that Jesus Christ died as a propitiation for the whole world, and that he redeems and forgives all who will believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So listen to this. When Chuck Smith says, Jesus died as a propitiation for the whole world, he is identifying his belief with that of Arminius. Now, some of you might be thinking out there, well, wait a minute, doesn't uh, 1 John 2.2 2 say that Jesus was a propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for those of the whole world? Well, it does, and what that means is that Jesus died for the sins of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now, the way you're going to be able to discern who's right about this uh, teaching of the atonement, the Calvinists or the Arminians and Chuck Smith, is to concentrate on what the atonement is. What did Jesus do on the cross? Protestants historically, even going back into the history of the church, all the way back to Anselm, have said, I have believed in the satisfaction theory of the atonement. That is that when Christ died on the cross, he received the wrath and curse of God for our sins in our place. And up to this point, even Chuck will say he agrees with that. He says, we believe that Jesus Christ died as a propitiation, a satisfaction of the righteous wrath of God against sin. He goes on to say, quote, for the whole world. But that's ridiculous. If Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the whole world and received the wrath and curse of God for the sins that every single person who ever will live has committed, then it's a complete injustice of God now to turn around and punish people for the sins that Jesus already suffered the wrath and curse of God for, unless they put their faith and trust in Christ. Exactly. If Jesus dies for you, you are saved because his blood was already shed. God isn't going to punish you again for something you already punished Jesus for in your place. So by force of logic, then, everyone is saved because the wrath and curse of God has been exhaustively satisfied on the cross. Yeah, if you believe that Jesus died for every single person of the entire human race, which the Arminians and Chuck Smith believe. Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. Sinners and Saints, tonight we've been examining the view of the Calvary chapels regarding the salvation of God. Do they come down on the side of the Calvinists, or do they come down on the side of the Arminians? They like to say they don't come down on either side. They strike the biblical balance. But the problem is, when you read their writings, you find out that they've come squarely down on the side of the Arminians. And, of course, the bad part about that is the Arminians are wrong. And that's why you got to get out of there. 
So Chuck tells us that the Arminians believe that grace is obstructible. In other words, God will try to woo, he will extend his grace out to men, but men will be able to frustrate this with their own petty human wills. He almost makes it seem like he disagrees with Arminius at this point. But the reality of it is that he completely agrees with Arminius because when he's speaking about his view of grace, he says we are not condemned because we have no opportunity to be saved, but a person is condemned because he makes the choice not to believe. Later on he says it is the fact of human resistance and rejection. And of course, God's grace can either be resisted or received by the exercise of human free will. That is exactly what the Arminians teach. That's what the Wesleyans teach. It is the reform that say opposite to that. So when Chuck is saying, no, we've taken a biblical middle ground, here Chuck is muddled and misleading. He's flat out taken the Arminian side. Well, this is also shows a, a flaw and a problem of their doctrine of sin and demonstrates that it's sub-biblical in this sense, that if you could truly resist the sovereign, omnipotent hand of God in salvation, then clearly you're not dead in your sins. You're actively alive, fighting and frustrating uh, the actual work of God. And yet, on one hand, they say, yeah, he's dead in his sins. And on the other hand, they're sitting here saying, no, he's alive enough to fight against the sovereignty of God and salvation. What you have, then, is the Calvary Chapel doctrine, which is the same as the historic Arminian doctrine, which is, of course, opposed to scriptural, uh, biblical understanding of salvation. It takes the glory away from God and ultimately makes it that man must be wooed into believing. He has to be convinced that this is a good enough deal that he will sign away all the pleasures of sin. Here's the, here's the statement that you really need to get a hold of and, and, and evaluate and think about. Smith says this of Calvinists on irresistible grace. He says, Calvinists believe if a totally depraved person wasn't made alive by the Holy Spirit, such a calling on God would be impossible. Now, bear in mind, that's what he wants to reject. What Chuck Smith is saying is that you don't need a sovereign operation of God to make you alive. You can do that still by yourself. This is, where the, this is what the issue comes down to. Do you save yourself or does God? Yeah, maybe some of you have heard the old stories that you get in Calvary chapels and other Armenian churches describing what it means to be saved. And you say, oh, you're in your sin, so it's like drowning in the ocean. You've fallen out of the boat and you have no hope. And all of a sudden, somebody throws you a life raft, and all you have to do is grab onto that life raft and be saved. You know, that's your choice, though, at the end of the day, they say, isn't it? Just to grab on. Look, the Bible teaches that you're dead in your sins. We don't believe that you're drowning. We believe that you're already dead in your sins and that you're on the bottom of the ocean, lifeless. And what you need to be saved is for God, completely of his own will, to make you alive. A dead body can't get up and walk. That's the image of the scripture. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 in the early verses. Dead in sin. You need the sovereign God to do it all. Your will has already been exercised to rebel in sin and hate God. You need His will to save you. Your will won't do that. Lastly, he talks about perseverance of the saints, and here he says the Arminians leave perseverance to the free will of man, and therefore man can walk away, but the Calvinists just basically leave people to go sinning as much as they want. It doesn't say those words exactly, but that's the implication, that man is absolutely nothing to do with the process. But we in Calvary Chapel, he says, believe that nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we do believe in some form of perseverance, but keep in mind, he's quoting Romans 8, 38 and 39, which follows Romans 8, 28 to 29 through 30. He's using that thing of God saw the ones who persevered and predestined them, and therefore they're the ones who will be saved. So again, it really is man's free will. And though he says, I believe in perseverance, 
Nonetheless, he really doesn't because he still has it ultimately grounded in the free will of man. So because of a muddled writing and an unclear logic, he is able to try to make himself believe he has something different. But in reality, it's simple Arminian theology. You just have to go back one more step to see it. In the words of Chuck Smith himself, perhaps no issue, he says, is as important or as potentially divisive as the doctrine of salvation reflected in the debate between the followers of John Calvin and those of Arminius. So here you are, as a Christian in the 21st century, you have to decide where to go to church, with whom to identify yourself. That means, on the, perhaps the most important issue, or a very important issue, you have to figure out who's right. And you have to go to the place where you are with like-minded believers who will uh, learn from the Scripture and submit to their pastors and elders in the teaching that is correct and from the Scripture. fact of the matter is, Calvary Chapel, Chuck Smith, is just old recycled Arminianism, which was condemned by the historic Protestant church. The ministers who taught it were defrocked and seen as unorthodox. Come back and join us in speaking that truth in love. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge.